know, I get it. I get it. I'm just saying. You have to cut that out. Sorry, we, uh, we've got to be slightly quiet, although we're not doing a very good job of it because we're actually in a uh, the office of a client of ours, so we should uh, maybe stop stop that sort of things. So I apologise. Um, but but rowing naked is absolutely a no-go. It's a, ter- it's a terrible idea. I love it how you tried to explain the joke. I didn't realise you were onto it. it. <laughs> Kind of looked at me and they said the answer was was alcohol so ladies and gentlemen the tempest 2 tom caulfield's james whistle the tempest 2 this is the story of the tempest 2 Okay guys, welcome back to what is episode 3 of the Tempest 2 podcast. Uh, If you haven't listened to the first couple of episodes, we went through in episode 1 the decision that we made to row across the Atlantic, having never done it before. Uh, Episode 2 was our first couple of weeks at sea. Um, The warm up to that and and everything that went wrong and how we were feeling there. And In this episode we're going to pick up where we left off which was just after capsizing uh, some 12 days into into the Atlantic and five or six hundred miles away in the middle of nowhere and we kind of we're getting into a bit more of a normal routine now uh, still felt very foreign but we were kind of getting more to grips with the two hours on two hours off um, it was still still tough still felt pretty crap but but we were making progress and at least we were seeing our GPS we were making progress across the Atlantic I think is how I remember at that point it still felt like we were going nowhere but yeah I think that flip was um, as intense as it was it kind of acted as I don't know a bit of a tipping point in the in the whole journey because if we could overcome being capsized in the middle of the night and and kind of keep our keep our wits about us and come out of it the other side then I think it actually gave us a bit of a boost and I think there were some pretty pivotal moments actually on the road 99% of it was just boring mundane kind of two hour shifts where the sky is the same the horizon is the same the waves are the same but then the whole 54 days were interrupted by certain key moments and the flip was definitely the first of them and then probably only a couple of days after we went through was probably the the second maybe the biggest one actually when well we were told by our online support that there was going to be some weather up near the North Americas be aware of it I think it was a day after that they said it was coming south a little bit and there was a bit of a storm but it wasn't going to get anywhere near us we were nowhere near it it might suck up some weather and it might be quite slow and then two days after that we went nose to nose with old Hurricane Alex yeah what was it the the first hurricane to form in that time of year in the Atlantic in the last like 60 years yeah shouldn't happen that's why you leave in December it's like December Hashtag no hurricane. Yeah, vintage no hurricane season. <laughs> but we were in a, what we now know was a El, El, Nino. El Nino year, which means... It's like a tropical... <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Some sort of weather system. It's like it happens every now and again where it's like tropical weather. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> You'll so get yeah. That, um, have a look on Google, El Nino. In fact, we'll get Dave on that. Um, Dave, just jump on the El Nino, just have a quick look. El 
and yeah, he's yeah. Uh, he'll get back to us. But so the, the the year that we went apparently was typical, typical Tommy luck. The weather was um, was terrible. Yeah, El Nino is the warm phase of the El Nino Southern Oscillation in association with a band of warm weather water that develops in the central. <laughs> 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 Absolute snooze o'clock down there. Um, yeah, basically means crazy weather. Right. Okay. So we went. Yeah, we were El Nino. So we might as well have left in February. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely El Nino from the start. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, to be honest, we got weather updates regularly, um, which were wrong all the time. All the time. So it was kind. So of you got a clear avenue to Barbados, boys. Like lap it up. It was like yay. <laughs> and it was just like motherfucking hurricane. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Hurricane Alex. And oh god, it was. We'd we'd been on power anchor once. Uh, as you know from the last episode, and it's a it's pretty bleak anyway. Knowing that you're you're pulling this big parachute out of the cabin and you're not going to go anywhere for a while. Um, this was that with the added fear of the waves we were staring down the barrel of were absolutely oh massive, um, and we're just like we obviously we're not a big enough boat for to be between the waves, but we were like still skidding up them surfing down them when you're at the peak of the wave you can just see as far as the eye can see just these lines coming towards you of these massive waves and it is it was a ridiculous feeling just knowing that for the next what eventually ended up being 72 hours yeah, three days we were just stuck in this massive weather kind of just like a little tiny twig in a river and a little game of poo sticks <laughs> literally <laughs> literally some poo sticks going on in the cabin <laughs> several times a day well as you can imagine in the cabin so to paint a picture the cabin is the size of a single bed um, James and I are pretty broad fellas we're, you know, we're pretty rigged up we're not we're both both pretty small thankfully um, but we're stuck in there and you're shoulder to shoulder you can't move and you're obviously being chucked around all over the shop and obviously nature calls you need to go to the toilet we had to eat um obviously still getting our three meals a day and all of our food was kind of these freeze-dried meals were under the deck and we paid rock paper scissors every time to go and get the food uh, and obviously outside was pretty treacherous huge ways like hurricane force winds like sideways rain and we play rock paper scissors to go and grab the next meal and bring them back in uh which i was i was on a bad streak i just seemed to lose every single time yeah, you were weren't you i don't know what was going on you just kept you just kept going for the scissors and i was falling <laughs> for it i was like it, it can't be sixth time lucky and then, then you get me again but then we realized that in hindsight we should have just played it once and then brought all of the food in yeah but just played it breakfast lunch and dinner yeah for three it, days it did form the main part of conversation <laughs> yeah. for three days in the cabin in what was incredibly bleak it was like pretty hot in there wasn't it it was awful yeah and we, we were sweating just out sweating it's just condensating on the roof and just dripping back onto uh onto us and we took like sleeping bags um pillows and stuff but by even by like day five they were just drenched yeah. whether it was sweat or uh water it's probably a combination of the both which, which is lovely i remember going into that hurricane and we were so negative oh yeah like we, we knew it was coming we got told probably half a day out that this storm had now reached hurricane like category 
and was heading straight for us, which when you've been told for two days that nothing is going to happen and the weather should be fine and I think we said we, we had like two weeks of great weather into Barbados so all you're doing your mood basically relies on those emails and those phone calls and when you're told that you're just like that is amazing like there's going to be no hiccups we're going to glide through to Barbados yeah. then you start doing the maths of right well we're doing 2.7 knots so that means we're going to get there this time on this day Little, let's maybe you know put some money behind the bar for when we arrive and you just start having all these grand plans and then suddenly a hurricane just jumps in front of you and the kicked morale was unbelievable yeah we adopted the victim mindset very quickly yeah I think we were yeah, like you said, planning our arrival and planning our progress and thinking, you know, we've, we've run road this far till now. If we carry on at this pace, uh, yeah, we'll be X, Y, and Z. Um, and when there's nothing, when there's nothing you can do about it, it's it was just very easy to just blame. Kind of, I think initially the people that gave us a weather update, <laughs> it was there. Well, we were just fuming, weren't we? Yeah, just, just fuming. Just generally angry, but um, we kind of realised after not long that that was only going to ruin it for us and we had to kind of just get on with it because there was literally no other option yeah we just had to wear whatever the weather was going to be um but it was actually quite hard to do that it was it was savage to begin with well i think we i don't know how did we deal with it we we basically had that conversation we had a pretty stern conversation and it was like right up until this point we were pretty much pretty much bang on halfway at this point I think and um, it was like right up until now we haven't really slept very well we're still not really into the groove we were still a bit rocked from that capsize and we were worried that our spare oars were gone and we were going to snap the ones we had left and we, we weren't into like the the journey properly we're still total novices and like our bodies like I remember like I remember like our, our hands and our, our asses. yeah were Savage. absolutely just trashed like the bum was probably the word when people say like how tough was it physically it was tough but like muscle attrition and the old tweak here and there but the arse situation yeah. was next level yeah I think we'll um, yeah I mean well because you're just two hours on two hours off so you're and you we were basically getting wet every time we were rowing. Yeah, waves drenched. coming over the side, over the top, um, spray from the waves breaking near us. We were drenched, so we'd go back into the cabin and you had to try and get dry first, but it was, it was pretty much impossible. So then your skin is just getting battered, especially by, obviously, the point of contact. So your bum on the seat, which started off relatively okay. Well, we had sheepskin, didn't we? We, yeah, we, we heard all these stories of how to try and solve it. Yeah, and naked was the classic. Yeah. God, try that for an naked. hour. That is the worst advice I've ever been given. Don't ever row naked. It's like, you, you just got your... <laughs> There's a lot of things you shouldn't do naked, actually. Yeah, rowing is up there. Because you got your... Your piece is out. Got your giant <laughs> piece out, which yeah. is all <laughs> absolutely in the way. But it's it's you don't want to get your bits out. A when it's thirty five degrees. No. B when you're doing like a forward and back motion. <laughs> Poor guy's got over the cabin to <laughs> change the place. There. And yeah, and your rowing partner every time he gets out of the cabin is staring down the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we we tried rowing naked. Terrible, terrible decision. Um, we had little yoga blocks that actually made it much more comfortable and then with 
sheepskin over the top of that. And yeah. I think that was the winning combo. We took two bits of sheepskin each because after one of them got wet a few times, it kind of just got covered in salt and ended up like sandpaper, so it was due a change. Um, but no matter what you did, obviously when you're spending 12 hours, at least 12 hours a day on it, just doing the same motion, your skin just starts to break down and it was it ended up being like sitting on glass. Oh, every, every start of every shift was your hands are locked up in like a claw from when you've been, when you've been kind of gripping the oars and your bum, you have to like lower yourself onto the seat and it's like, it was like screaming pain. Yeah. And then you're on a boat, so you're just being moved side That's to side. It. If you could carry on just back and forth, it would, you could manage it. But when you're getting thrown around, oh God, it was painful. I remember like trying to sleep a few times in the day, just hearing you like <laughs> shouting in pain, just swearing <laughs> at anything because uh, yeah, the pain was getting pretty bad. And we tried all sorts for skin care and blister care. And to be fair, the hands, they blistered initially in like places we kind of popped them but not a huge amount and then they just started to callous really. yeah they were right they just went rock hard it's more the muscles and the, the skin hands. was fine yeah it was more trying to do the um, the muscles to break it down um, so they didn't get stuck in that claw position and then we took lacrosse balls yeah. and golf ball to trying to work into our muscles and I think that was a bit of a game changer well we took we a medikit didn't we where we were told um that obviously the pain will get quite bad so we spent like 200 quid at that pharmacy in Gran Canaria yeah day before yeah going. on like tramadol and like cocodamol yeah. and like all Diazepam, these yeah, yeah like all these kind of like big heavy duty painkillers and the, the only thing we took in the entire 54 days from the medikit was a gaviscon because we'd eaten too many skittles <laughs> Heartburn is a real issue. It really is. When you're smashing three Mars bars of toffee crisp <laughs> and a pack of Skittles every day, heartburn is can be a killer. And Gallus gone past the test. It did, yeah. yeah no, it's fantastic. It, it absolutely delivered. But yeah, so when we went into this hurricane, to go back to that, <laughs> we, we were in bad shape. Our skin, our bodies, our muscles. Yeah. And so we... We looked at this huge negative that was kind of looming over us and then tried to turn it into a positive from the fact that we now had 72 hours where we couldn't physically row. We were basically forced to rest to try and get some sleep, even though that was pretty pretty impossible just due to the nature of where we were. Yeah, push back, what, 100 miles? We got pushed back 100 miles, which was probably the hardest bit of it all. Yeah. Um, getting those emails from home from people saying, um, hi, guys, hope you're well. Uh, just to let you know you're going backwards like we wouldn't realise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that losing 100 miles was probably the worst part yeah. because you could just, we were watching the GPS basically sat there in silence in a hurricane watching <laughs> watching this little dot do loops and we did like three figure of eights oh yeah we were all over the place it's funny wasn't it how the emails were the like highlight of every day usually because it was a little note from home or friend or whatever and then during this time the emails 90% of them just told us we were going backwards <laughs> Which is incredible and very generous of people to point out, but obviously at that point we're just stuck in the cabin, um, and we ended up just not even opening a few of those emails, yeah. just in the hope it wasn't someone else telling us that we were going backwards. Subject, it's like backwards question mark. It's like, <laughs> delete that one. Are you lost? <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was a challenging time. But we ended up. I think I remember like the turning point was when we put two and two together and realised that we had a laptop and up with a hard drive full of movies mm. and an iPad with the potential to play those movies that was game changer and for the, the, game the entire changer. road yeah, not entire, just the hurricane but I think it started in the hurricane yeah it did is we were 
obviously bored um, and it was because we were bored we were getting frustrated and then realising that we had infinite movies to watch yeah seasons of Entourage Breaking yeah. Bad Anchorman every, well every rom no under the sun <laughs> we had a hard drive probably about 150-200 gigs worth of content on yeah and that changed the game absolutely and start, totally. starting there we spent the next 18 18 hours no one and a half days what would that be irrelevant um <laughs> Well, from hours. when we realised we could do it, we just watched movies, and then actually when the weather changed, it was a bit frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> we were it's halfway like, through. It's like, you can row now, so like, yeah, but <laughs> Lord of the Rings is, hasn't finished yeah. yet. We've got another three hours on this puppy. Aragorn is yet to take the throat. <laughs> Give us a minute. Um, yeah, that was a real game changer. It was, and I think um, a purist ocean rower might say to us that, you know, if you're, if you're watching movies, then you're not truly embracing the challenge and nature. And I say to that, Breaking Bad's won many awards. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a hell of a watch. Yeah. And I remember, like, during night shifts after that, we, we had this iPad in, like, obviously a waterproof case, and we had, like, a sucker pad that you'd almost use for, like, a sat-nav in a car in the good old days. And we just would bang that on the outside of the cabin door uh, had our wireless headphones and during night shifts which were before were so scary and you dread we'd actually look forward to them because you could tick off six, <laughs> epi- yeah, six episodes of Entourage <laughs> which and like you're finishing sifts and you're like I'm going to do a bit of an extra stint here because I haven't finished this one and it was a game changer I don't yeah. care what anyone says no that was the resourceful yeah that was amazing and again, when it's like with the food thing, with the Mars bars, when it's all about mindset, do what you can to make it positive, and it really worked. Yeah, do more of what you love, or yeah. watch more of what you yeah. love, or eat more of what you love. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you love, what take loads of it. Exactly. It was, um, yeah, an, an absolute game changer. And then eventually the weather turned from the, uh, from the hurricane, and, and we were back to some sort of positive rowing. And... I remember we kind of said to ourselves, look, we're, our mindset had changed completely and we we're in a kind of positive state at this point. We had a good attitude. We'd just spent a couple of days just resting and recuperating and, and it gave us this new kind of fire to really, like, hammer it on the oars and try to make some progress as, as well as possible. And we we said to each other, right, let's just try and enjoy this now. We'd, we'll stop the moaning because it's not going to make a difference whatsoever and we'll just crack on and then that lasted for like a day or something until we very nearly got killed at sea um, by this massive massive tanker that was the closest we came to dying I think the yeah. boat yeah I think um, yeah we came out of that hurricane and we, we got back on the oars and we, we, to be fair we were like two different people from the two guys who went into the hurricane we came out of it with something changed in those three days where we just became at home on the boat and as you said we just wanted to hammer the oars and get to Barbados and and then the weather was obviously still a bit rubbish because we had like the back end of the, the hurricane as we came out the other side and uh, I remember we were moaning about the weather and the wind because it was basically like blowing us off track and we weren't really moving we were both on the oars and because we hadn't had any sun during that hurricane, all of our batteries were pretty much dead. And obviously, as we said, the iPad was so important. We prioritised charging the iPad and our like iPods and stuff like that 
rather than charging all of our safety equipment on the boat. So we turned off all of our beacons and our GPS and everything. So we were basically rowing blind, but also invisible. And we were on the oars and suddenly, I just remember you like screaming something turned over my shoulder and just looked up at this huge metal wall of what was the side of this massive tanker called Yellowstone. Yeah, that was it, yeah. And, oh my God, that was like, it was probably about 100 feet away, which at sea is a half a millimetre. Yeah. Like, it was so close to hitting us. Yeah, we'd had our, um, what was it What was it called? The system that alarms you of... Oh, like the, the beacon yeah, thing, yeah. Something. Oh, yeah, something, AIS. AIS, AIS yeah, yeah. Um, We'd already had an alarm for that after, like, a few days at sea, and that was when a boat was one nautical mile away, and that's considered close because you obviously need time if it's a big boat to change course, and obviously we're just rowing, so we're not going anywhere in a hurry. But because we'd prioritised the iPads, that was, that was obviously off, and we didn't get that warning whatsoever until... We well, it would have been too late. We would have been under the bottom of it if if we were in the wrong place. But we eventually turned it on, and uh, it was, it was mental, all beeping and yeah, collision imminent. Like, yeah. Oh my god! And I think what we were well, what we were moaning about, and that weather that was blowing us off course, and actually did us a huge favour because it blew us just far enough off course that we weren't under the path of Yellowstone. And how how big do you reckon it was? Good. Two, three hundred meters. It was, it was one of like the big, big, big container ships. Massive. So there was no one on the bridge on that boat. No one even watching. All just autopiloted. They wouldn't have even seen us. Probably wouldn't have even felt us. Um, felt us go under them whatsoever. No, no, no idea we were there. And then eventually we we jumped on the radio after turning all the systems on, and when they were probably few hundred metres past us at this point just to give him a heads up let him know that he almost hit us and he was just like he was a Greek player wasn't he yeah I'm not even going to try a Greek <laughs> <laughs> he was just like very nice <laughs> I'm like what <laughs> um, and yeah we just said look you've nearly you've nearly killed us sir. congratulations and, and he was just you know well, on his way yeah good go, luck go to Cape Town yeah I didn't I think he actually said well I didn't so Fair enough. Yeah, have a good day. But that, that was another one of those moments where it kind of polarised everything and we sat back after that and we're like, right, we need to we need to stop moaning about... Yeah, starting from now. <laughs> stop, stop moaning about little things we can't control, like the weather, because you do that and it's just like... That was just a perfect example for how quickly something could go wrong. Yeah, and I actually had a, a tally in the diary of like we started making um, like a journal almost of what like day-to-day things that were happening. I remember I got to day like 18 and every single journal entry had something that had gone wrong, yeah. whether it was the auto helm breaking or the capsize or nearly getting hit by a tanker or the, the three days in the hurricane, whatever it was. And I was just thinking, like by that point, like you said, stuff was always going to happen. The only thing we could actually control was like our reaction to it. And it was... Um, yeah, I remember it being quite tiring before then because if it just took a toll out of you every time something happened it ended up being a shit day or you just dwelled on it for ages and yeah that was, that was pretty bleak but I think we probably did actually change our mindset after that yeah I think so and that was that was probably well I remember it was around that we started getting to the point where we were just enjoying it yeah I think after the hurricane and after that boat um, 
I think we just became at home on the boat. Yeah. Uh, and at sea, and I think that's down to the fact that we pushed ourselves so far outside our comfort zone for such a long time that we just kind of grew into it and actually we became pretty capable. Um, still don't know the terminology or anything, but <laughs> well, I think you need to. No, you don't. I remember going out into shifts and like you can, you then you learn to like read what the sea is doing and you you kind of know that okay, like you'll know when rain's coming and stuff like that just from because there'll be like a tiny drop in temperature or something will happen or I remember like there'd be days where. It was just like a mirror, wasn't it? That that oh. was, they were like the weirdest days. Not the doldrums, wasn't it? It was like every day we'd have big swell, or there'd be rollers, or there'd be peaky waves that would be breaking, and the, the sea has so many weird like characteristics. And then every now and again, we probably had three days like it on the whole trip, where it would it was literally like a placid lake, like there wasn't a ripple on it. And it was so hard to row, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was. It was like rowing through treacle. It was just impossible to move the boat because there's nothing helping you, no wind. And then that's when you'd see those long... Yeah, what was that? It was like that vegetation. It was was like... I don't know what it was. When we saw that, we knew it meant that it was going to be an absolute slog. It was basically like this. It was like... It was probably like dead coral or dead something from the bottom. But it was basically like a two-metre strip of it. Which went on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. Yeah. And and it was just there in a two metre strip, like perfectly, like someone had just drawn Never a broken. line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was so weird. And we knew if we saw that, then it was gonna be a really placid day. So you just learn this stuff like just by being there and you can't learn that in a textbook and stuff. And I think we just became so comfortable that the whole road just became a bit of a pleasure rather than a chore. Yeah. Yeah, I remember thinking and like even towards the back end of the road we had I don't know if you remember a couple of days where the waves were pretty big but we were we were cruising our average speed went up massively yeah, yeah, yeah. and we were just like surfing down them and I think that the only difference was just our attitude from those that time to the first few days at sea where just we, not being scared yeah, yeah where we sat and hand steered and we were scared shitless Whereas we'd been through the capsize, been through basically everything that could go wrong, we'd kind of been through at this point, and it was becoming more and more like natural. So when those high waves and high winds and like the good speed came with it, we just like fully embraced it. And I think we ended up knocking nearly a day off our arrival time just over those few days of quick, uh, quick speed. And it was, I remember thinking like, yeah, kind of this is what it's all about. I think obviously part of the mentality changes when when you get over halfway. Yeah. And you, you kind of broke the back of it and things are starting to become a bit more of a reality. The emails coming in are more like... And every stroke is a stroke closer rather yeah. than kind of further away from the start. Yeah. And I, I remember a big moment was when our GPS was... It, obviously, when we started, it was 3,000 miles. Then it's like 2,099, 2,098. And then it got to 999. Yeah. And it was like... Yes, like we're down to three figures. Yeah, and then it was like we've hit eight hundred, we've hit seven hundred, we've hit six hundred. Then it's like five hundred is another big one. And it's like okay, we know roughly that that's going to be like a week. Yeah. Um. So when you start getting closer to the finish, like that, you're just hungrier to get there. What did we have a, a waypoint set in our? Um, oh, I don't know. We had quite it was, a few, it was every every two fifty was it? Five hundred. I think it's five hundred miles. Yeah. yeah. And we got to that last one, and we were like, shit. Yeah. I've got, I remember there was that one last thing and we had, um, I guess, a bit of a mentor or 
the, a guy who'd done it before, a teacher, um, who was kind of letting it, letting us know, load of information. A guy called Ian Rowe, and he gave us load of load of prep and stuff before we went. And his um, crossing unfortunately came to an end at a place called Researchers Ridge, which is 500 miles off of Barbados, so kind of like where that last waypoint is. It's basically where the depth of the ocean goes from like five kilometers to 500 meters, just on a shelf. So with the wrong weather, the waves just get massive and get like really unpredictable. And, and they capsize there and uh, eventually end up getting picked up and taken to Canada or something like that on a big tanker. And that was our, I remember thinking that was kind kind of quite a significant point to get through a because it was the last waypoint before Barbados and then b just because it was the last sketchy point that felt that like something could have gone wrong and then after that we were well cruising cruising on in and then what was it 53 days that evening I was on the oars yeah and then you like poked your head out of the cabin and it was just like shit there's a light and we thought it was a boat and then we like turned around and you're kind of staring at it and then you see another light and then there's another light and it yeah. was these cabins on the shore of Barbados um, and you could immediately you could like smell it you could smell the vegetation you could smell the island because we, we hadn't seen land for 54 days Yeah. and that moment was just like oh my god what but, a but, feeling but then we had that elation and then we almost missed it yeah but that the last those last like 12, 24 hours were some of the most stressful absolutely whirlwind it was because we saw the island it was like yeah big celebration and then we we started getting closer to it and it was still night time and then our speed just like dropped and we were like what's going on and then we were looking at our kind of like compass and our bearing and we're basically instead of going west towards the island we suddenly were just heading north at like two knots and we weren't (laughs) rowing and it was like what is going on yeah and like it suddenly became obvious. It was like we are we are pretty quickly moving up north instead of west. We couldn't do anything about it, and we're like absolute panic stations, like complete panic stations. We're calling like some dude in Barbados who yeah. lived there, being like, "What's going on?" And we're calling him at midnight, and he's like, "Hello," and it's like, oh, "Hi there, it's Tom. And- <laughs> Hi there, it's Tom and James. Um, we're just pulling into Barbados, and we seem to be moving quite rapidly north." And he's like. Right, <laughs> it's like yeah. So what, what do you yeah, want to do about it? What the bloody hell's going on there? <laughs> and it was the it was that that the kind of that current that you're riding and the the jet stream and all that kind of big circular motion. It goes to the edge of Barbados and then goes up north to the Americas and then it goes back over the Atlantic to the UK. And we were basically in that being pushed north. Yeah. And it's like a half a kilometre stretch of current yeah. that we basically had to get through. What was it called that? Uh, so the, like the North Atlantic Drift. Drift. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I made that up. <laughs> we'll yeah, go the North Atlantic Drift. The NAD. Um, but yeah, it, but it was. I think it was weird just going at that pace and having no control over it, and also made slightly worse by the fact that we could see Barbados, and you're like kind of seeing it. You feel like you're getting close to it, and then you all of a sudden you get a bit further away from it. And there's a point where you you can kind of miss like miss the island if, if you go too far north it'd be incredibly difficult to get back to the island especially just like it's hard sailing but when you're rowing it's kind of nearly impossible um luckily well panic stations we managed to get through it yeah. yeah we just we both hammered the oars for about three and a bit hours to get through that drift uh, and then we were back 
back into Barbados, the sight of it. And then as the sun started to come up, you could see the water had even like changed colour. It's obviously getting a little bit shallower. Um, we had a, uh, was it like a fishing boat, wasn't yeah. it, with um, our family on that had come to see us. Um, oh, it's all such a weird, surreal feeling. Yeah, I remember seeing that boat with, with some of our family on it and obviously the first people we'd seen and they came to meet us because obviously as we came into Barbados it, it turns quite shallow and there's loads of reefs and, and without them guiding us through we'd probably likely rack up on a reef and we've probably only had about a couple of miles down the down the coast down the yeah. west coast of Barbados before we come into the port but the wind was so strong pushing us outwards the tide was doing the same and we rode for what six hours like 0.1 knots which is like like slower than walking pace considerably yeah and and everything was trying to push us back out on the other side of Barbados Um, and we had to work so hard and it was weird because our family were like a few metres away on this boat like shouting encouragement suddenly there were just these people shouting at us like it was suddenly now we were just surrounded by people it's like leave us alone yeah (laughs) it's like oh god I'm emotional um, and yeah, six hours later, we, we managed to pull into that, that harbour, Port St. Charles, and what a mental feeling that was. Yeah, we had like the, the final little corner of the harbour turned in. Um, the kind of yacht club came into view with, I want to say 100 people, but not that many, but like <laughs> a, a good amount of people, friends and family, and just people that were having lunch, like come to the edge of the the dock to kind of wave us in and celebrate and there's a huge black super yacht there it's a, a boat called slipstream the guys all came out on deck and like is it a horn yeah foghorn <laughs> just tooted their horn and um like basically a, a huge celebration and we were 30 40 meters away from the the pontoon and yeah, it was a most incredible feeling. Um, about two hours before that, our final auto helm that we had had blew up. Um, so we were onto the foot steering, which is just the budget version of getting around in a rowing boat. So I was kind of steering the boat round the round the big super yacht, and I think just had eyes for the pontoon, eyes <laughs> eyes for the celebration, and um, embarrassingly cut the corner a bit short. Yeah, we came around the front of the boat and. Like all we're thinking at this point is like we are the boys. Like every every moment of every day on that row before that, all you're thinking about is like rowing into that harbour and celebrating and completing it and, and all that kind of stuff. And we built it up in our head, and this is now our like, moment. Like really built yeah. it up. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, we were totally rigged up. Like, which wasn't the case <laughs> at spent, all. We spent hours like. What's the first beverage you're going to have? Yeah, yeah. What's the, second, the second beverage? Yeah, that's like, like the play-by-play yeah. for the 12 hours. We planned everything, and we came around it's the front not, of this boat. There's a lot to do on a yeah. boat. <laughs> <laughs> came around the front of this boat, and we could then see the jetty where we were going to moor up, and um, that's where our family kind of congregated, and they had, like, bottles of bubbly ready. We went around the front of this boat, and they've got these big angular anchor chains that come off, and we went too fine, and our rudder got snagged on one of these anchor chains, and we basically got stuck. So we'd rowed 3,000 miles, and we got stuck about six, seven metres away from the finish line, which was incredibly embarrassing. So, like, I then had to get into the water... Oh, it's swim, embarrassing even thinking about ...swim the boat back. This took, like, 15 minutes. Like, by this time... 
all these people had just gone back to their lunch like the crowd had dwindled down and it's just like our mum's there with just like some flat champagne and uh, we like limped across the lot it was so embarrassing yeah, it was criminal yeah it was just like what a pair of helmets <laughs> <laughs> yeah from the two legends in our head that are arriving to this huge hero celebration to these two absolute helmets <laughs> rocking over so how the hell have they made it <laughs> far far you, from what we had in our heads you pair of losers <laughs> oh, yeah, God. And then eventually, eventually we made it there. And, um, oh, it's the weirdest feeling. Weirdest feeling to have loads of people there, like, for us to celebrate. We kind of docked the boat and jumped straight on to, um, obviously, say hello to our friends and family. And the immediate feeling was that, shit, we can't walk. It felt like we yeah, had, it was like... bizarre, wasn't it? Ten beers. It was like... I guess it was a version of land sickness or something. Just, yeah. just no, like no, basically like sea legs. You could barely stand up. It was so weird. I mean, the muscles in our legs had wasted away. I mean, I don't have any anyway. But no, the ones that's that I, true. the ones that I don't have are definitely <laughs> yeah, gone. They, I just they, skeletal from the waist down. For good. Um, yeah, that was that was weird though. And we were what two minutes into hugging girlfriends, parents, and. All of a sudden, this really aggressive guy comes oh, yeah. down, and uh, one and, from the port authority, yeah, isn't it? And, and just collars us. Um, I think in our excitement and our no, this wasn't our fault. No, but I think I think we could have let them know. No, but we weren't meant to. <laughs> it was the guys back in the UK. Our online support were meant to let them know when we oh, arrived. Oh yeah, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was part of the package. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That was actually a line yeah, item. That was a line item. We paid yeah. for that. Yeah, and yeah. they didn't. Yeah, so that was it. We, they were, they basically from their point of view, obviously they had no idea we were arriving. So there's just two weird like <laughs> homeless looking skinny guys that have just basically crashed into a super yacht <laughs> and then parked on a pontoon like they had no warning that we were going to be there so there was no real place for us it's quite lucky that there was that free space by the uh, the restaurant otherwise we would have had nowhere to go well, and it was customs like you forget that we're, yeah. we're now in another country yeah and they're like, where are your passports? Well, it's, like, yeah. it's like, oh my God, I have no idea where that is. Yeah, all the, all the documentation that we, we probably should have had ready was stuff that we'd obviously just locked away as we left Gran Canaria. Probably not even thinking we were actually going to make it to Barbados. <laughs> so I'll get a lead oh, I don't need them anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, they wanted immediately the documentation, everything that was on board, our passports. Want to search the boat. For all, like, for all they knew, we were buying really expensive drugs in Europe <laughs> and, then, and then shipping them over to Barbados, yeah. which would be the worst business model ever. Yeah, the anti-mule. Yeah, yeah, the anti-mule. <laughs> so, but, but we could have been doing that. And, and it's, it was weird that we just had not even considered that and I remember sitting in that weird little office they sat us in oh god and he was bollocking us and um, we were just sat there like (laughs) the two most confused men in the (laughs) The world the room was just spinning and rocking just like why is there a man shouting us why aren't I drinking a beer right now (laughs) I've rode the Atlantic (laughs) mate I'm a hero (laughs) I'm a hero among men I'm sorry about the subiot (laughs) but it was so weird and he's bollocking and then I think they realised that we were we were like shell shocked yeah uh, and they kind of calmed down and realised we weren't doing anything particularly We weren't a wrong. threat to security. No. And, um, yeah, that arrival was mad. Then we had the big lunch with our families. And <sighs> I remember thinking, like, we were surrounded by these people and it was just such a weird 
feeling of just being like spoken to and, yeah. and all the noise and it, it was like genuinely bizarre everyone just flying all yeah. sorts of questions I was so us. tired yeah <laughs> truly was exhausted <laughs> <laughs> it's like guys give us a breather please yeah, like, please very tired here yeah that was um, what food did we have I had double bacon cheeseburger I think I went the same prawns. yeah I had, a, I had a garlic prawn to start brownie to finish I tried to have a load of beer we tried to go out that night didn't we it lasted yeah. about 9pm and then just collapsed yeah I was throwing everything in beer gin and tonic <laughs> mojitos vodka red bull cigar <laughs> why not <laughs> yeah all of it was all of it was just paper over the cracks really it didn't last very long the party but but Barbados was epic it was it, yeah it was that that finish line we built up in our head and we we kind of we got put up in that five-star hotel, didn't oh, we, who sponsored Sugar us? Bay. Sugar Bay Resort, what which was place. all-inclusive five-star. Oh, my God, it was amazing. I'm pretty, that place would be, like, heaven anyway. But, like, going there after living in a It was a unbelievable. It was, yeah, God. And remember, amazing. we got back to the hotel at, like, midnight. Yeah. And um, that general manager came and welcomed us, and he was like, open the kitchen for us, they're like, I'll cook you anything you want. We were just there, like, what is going on here? They're, like, lying in a bed. It was like, what the... Mental. Yeah. It was bizarre. So we'd lost well over a stone in the two months at sea, and I think in the first 72 hours in Barbados... Oh, straight back All on. back on. Oh, absolutely, and more. Yeah. <laughs> and way more. Whether it was passion fruit daiquiris, sticky toffee pudding... Oh, I was loading it up. And then what, we were there for like four Huge days, moment. flew back to London. It was February, dreary, but like pumped to be back and obviously saw everyone and then we went back to work. Like yeah, I think we were, after. yeah, we, we were blown away by the, just the amount of people that had known that we were doing it. Yeah, yeah. That we didn't know we were Yeah, because we hadn't checked our Facebook or yeah. Instagram the whole time we were there, we? No, exactly. We had like yeah. 11 followers. Yeah, that, exactly. Which was awesome. And then, and then people were... Uh, yeah, all of a sudden asking us to just reaching out, asking us to speak to their company at a lunchtime or uh, speak to uh, at an event and stuff like that that we'd never, never even considered really. No. All we knew that we'd just been on a hell of a couple of months, kind of everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Um, and some sort of changed mindset that we couldn't put our finger on when we got to Barbados and then when we got back to the UK, yeah, it was. It was back to our jobs. Back to our jobs. But I think we knew, we discussed, didn't we, in that hurricane, it was like something changed and we were like, right, when we get back, that there's something in the Tempest 2. We had yeah. no idea what it was. I remember that business plan we wrote. It was like marketing consultancy slash event organisers <laughs> slash, like, there were like nine slashes. Yeah. It's like, what, what else are you doing? So what you is, don't actually know what yeah, you are, do yeah. you? It's like, it was like brand distributor. It's like, we're bringing brands from the US and sell them on. And it's like, what are you doing? Got no business doing that. But we just had this confidence that there was something in the Tempest 2. And we got back, went back to our jobs for, what, a month? About that, maybe a bit less? Yeah, about that. And, less, and then it was like, right, it was like May, it was like, no, end of April, it's like, right, we'll hand on notice him. Yeah. And... Which, before the row, would have been a massive deal. Yeah, and, yeah. And worth saying, we had no intention of handing on notice in no, before we did the row. No chance. And then, except they were great jobs, but then we did it, and I think our perception of risk had just changed completely. When, you, when we, like, were capsizing or getting hit by a tanker, all this stuff, I think we just saw, I don't know, maybe a slightly bigger picture for ourselves and I think it was uh, 
it was kind of like not now or never, but it was like it kind of was though. Yeah, we got to do this. Like we've got to we've got to go for this now. And I think um, it's worth mentioning we we left our jobs rightly or wrongly. We didn't have thousands of quid worth of savings. We Nothing. didn't have anything to. We had no money. Yeah, we'd forked out pretty much everything we had to do the run. Yeah, had like n- like no money. Both both living in London with pretty big rent, and it was like right. Let's leave our jobs. We get our last paycheck, and then we're we're at zero on the bank, and we've got to make it work. And I think looking back, like it's still amazing that we we thought that was okay. Yeah, so rogue. It's so rogue. <laughs> but I think we were just in that bubble still of like this isn't a risk. This yeah. is like there's something here. Yeah. And I think people ask us that quite a lot actually when we do talks and workshops. It's like. Oh, you know, I've, I've really been wanting to do this, or I've really wanted to work on my own, or go freelance. But like, how do you like, how do you do it? What's the process? And it's seen as this such a big void, this big scary kind of step. And if you take it, you're, you're putting yourself out there. And, and and if it all goes wrong, it's doom and gloom. And I think when you actually step back and look at it, and this is for most people, not everyone, just to put a caveat against that. But most people, if you're in a good job, you can leave your job. Go and try and do something on your own. Six months down the line, you realise selling um, quinoa ice cream is a shit idea, and it bombs. And then you can just go get another job, probably for more money. And you've learned loads of yeah, and you've got a huge amount of learnings. That is kind of the worst case scenario for a lot of people. And as soon as you realise that, it kind of then makes that decision far easier. Because I think we could have very easily been like, do you know what? Back to our cool jobs, we both really enjoyed. And we just go on about it. And if we've done that for six months, then we've kind of missed that window of opportunity. Yeah. I think it's a dent in people's ego as well, isn't it? If you try something that you want to do and it fails, it's like, am I? Is that going to be? Yeah, is that going to be me, kind of what it? I'm known yeah. for? Yeah, I'm a bit of a bit of a failure there. But I think you just got to realise people actually don't really care that much. No, you know, and you're really, not that people important. want to do well. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. people don't care what you're doing or if you're failing or succeeding in it. Everyone's got their own shit happening, and we were just well. That didn't even cross our mind. To be fair, how did you hand your notice in? What was your what was your technique? Process was. Um, I think I was quite nervous, as you are. Yeah. I think, and I was just. Have a little meeting, please. Did you have your, your, like your little yeah, uh, resignation letter? Yeah, yeah. that's weird, isn't it? That's a yeah. weird process. It seems quite old-fashioned. And here's my letter. So I, <laughs> you just told me. So I, and here's my letter. Is <laughs> it just so if you want to read it yeah. again? This is real. Um, and yeah, just just went for it. But to be fair, the response was very positive, which may be not a good thing. <laughs> so like, oh, amazing! Thank God. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think. I don't know. Maybe I checked out when I got back without really knowing, and 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 the signs were there. But the um, yeah, the response was was pretty positive. How about you? Yeah, I was I was nervous. Yeah, I walked into the MD's office, sat down. I just couldn't stop like smirking, like smiling because he knew something was up. I was just like, oh god. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna leave. But I'm not going to another agency. It's taking the Tempest two full time. Like, like that, taking the edge off. Yeah. It. Then he was like, right, okay. And he's like, fair play. And that was it. And in my head, again, it's like you're not that important. Yeah, yeah. I was expecting some like big like, oh no, you can't do that. Or no, we need you here. It's, it's just like, it's like fair play. It's just like, <clears throat> cool. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> so are you gonna offer yeah. me more money or something? <laughs> yeah, it's like, right, that was easy. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, it was. It's quite a big thing, isn't it? Like, it's a big thing. Having your notes in, I think. It is, but especially if you like your job. That's the thing, you, I think, as you well. You feel like really, you're like maybe letting people down, which is such bullshit. Yeah, I think I think maybe I felt 
we had not a responsibility to put a shift in, but we'd both been given like sabbaticals, yeah, yeah, and, and the companies us, were really supportive, us incredibly they, well. So it wasn't like a right. I've changed the way I am. I'm a different person. I can't work anymore. See you later. It was like, here's the opportunity. Yeah, we're going to go for it. And uh, maybe back to <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think there was potentially a safety blanket there. Yeah. But if we'd gone away for six months, we probably could have come back with our tails between our legs for half the salary <laughs> <laughs> and walked back into a far more junior job. Yeah. And, and I was your boss. It's up like, now. I'm your boss. Yeah, exactly. Adventurer. <laughs> How's your holidays? Like, Damn it. Uh, yeah. It was. Um, it was a weird moment, but it was it was awesome. It was, and I remember leaving. I remember our first day. Well, we we went we went to Sweden for a week, didn't we? Kayaking yeah. through the archipelago. That was that was our kind of first. I don't know what it was. Just like almost like business planning week. Like no phones. It no was laptops. it was an adventure. Yeah, it was just a kayaking. Well, I think we needed it to be fair, and that sounds mental because we've just been at sea for two months. But it was about, like you said, finding out, trying to define what the Tempest Two was, and. Um, and kind of taking it from there, really. Yeah. So I think next time, that's the end of the three-part series of the Atlantic Row, which hopefully has given you some insight as to where the Tempest Two came from and the the origination of of kind of what we do today. But I think next episode we'll go into the topic of probably what we get asked the most is like, what do you guys actually do? Yeah, and it's a fantastic yeah. question. And do you know what? We're pretty rubbish at, when someone says, what if you're like a, a friend's birthday and you're meeting new people or you're at a dinner party or an event. Accountant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, go with accountant. So what do you do? And we still struggle with it. Yeah. Because I feel like when you say, I'm a professional adventurer, <laughs> you sound like the biggest weapon in the world. Yeah, I totally agree. But we will go into that week in Sweden, figuring out what the Tempest 2 was, how we survived for the first six months of trying to make money. Yeah, Jesus, that urgency. Fake, fake that it till you there, make it. Yeah, it had to be there, didn't it? And then kind of what we actually do today, how we make money, how we work with brands and, and kind of all the different different avenues that have opened up from us taking that initial risk so next, yeah, we'll, next week we'll get into that yeah exactly and in in the meantime listening to all these any questions drop us a instagram message or a tweet or an email whatever you want and um we'll do our best to include them or answer them on here. yeah it'd be good to get some questions for next week on that topic of maybe entrepreneurship or leaving jobs or, or whatever it is yeah so fast and questions across and you'll get a shout out here we go thanks oh, guys awesome. thanks guys thanks for listening